Mark Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Once again, ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban bikum to this edition of a truly a true, truthful connection coming to you live and exclusively from the studios of Marcus Sahaba online in Durban, South Africa. So to Ahli Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the voice of the Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah in Durban, South Africa. Now, for now, we would be having our guest, Imam Sheikh Manzoor. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brother Imam. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The name actually is Ahmad Manzoor and the surname is Sheikh Imam. Afwan for that error. So we got our brother Ahmad Manzoor Imam who is a parliamentarian and unfortunately the guest who was supposed to come after him is experiencing an outage in his area so there is no network so our brother can take more time and go beyond half past eight also now brother in islam one of the things that is worrying our muslims particularly is this new bill they fear that uh, parents would be deprived of their rights over their children and one of the issues that are coming up is whether you know our madrasas would also be affected by this bill so if our brother can uh, comment on this and you know unpack this bill for us yes and jazakallah for giving me the opportunity assalamu alaikum to all our listeners out there on this beautiful day, Sunday. Uh, yes, well, first of all, these, this bill, what it seeks to do is to limit the powers that currently school governing bodies enjoy and hand that to the head of department of the Department of Basic Education. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. First is, are parents in school governing bodies well-equipped and capacitated to be able to deal with the issues of governance when it comes to the schools? And of course, secondly, and very importantly, the concern is that when you hand over power to the Department of Basic Education, and in this case, the head of department, it simply means you are reducing the role that school governing bodies, and in this case, parents and communities play, which poses a serious risk to the freedom of the decisions that you will make in the best interest of the school and the learners particularly who attend those schools. Now, with the school governing bodies being introduced, it gave them a lot of power, in fact, and it's underutilized in my view. 
However, it's also been exploited to some extent because of the power that school governing bodies enjoyed. Very importantly, nepotism appears to have been a problem, particularly the lack of capacity when you play a role in the appointment of educators, uh, deputy uh, principals and principals and heads of department and things. However, one needs to look deeper and look at what is the reason that the department wants to take away this power. That is the concern I think many people are raising, and rightfully so. If you notice of late or recently, in the public domain, there's been a lot of discussions about the LGBTIQ community, also the building of separate toilets for them, despite the fact that the department has failed in many aspects you know, to provide a quality education system. The emphasis being on numbers rather than on quality, the lack of proper facilities, the overcrowding, the professionalism or lack of professionalism and at the educator level, training facilities. Uh, so the current, many schools currently do not even have decent toilets, are using the toilets. I think. So there's a whole host of challenges that the schools currently face not being addressed but the department wants to now limit the powers of school governing bodies and communities and take that power away, which means when it comes to decision-making, particularly important issues, language policies uh, uh, being one of them, uh, your curriculum being another one of them, uh, a decision like about the needs of the LGBTIQ communities, which in my view really has a massive negative impact, uh, you know, on 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 particularly religious freedom and things. Uh, can be a serious problem for us, and I think that's why many people are raising serious concerns about it. Uh, so personally, I believe that the department should rather concentrate on capacitating school governing bodies so they remain independent and take decisions that are in the best interest of the learners of that school. However, we must be mindful of the fact that there are some schools that we may want our learners to go to, and the governing bodies in those schools, again, could be very problematic and introduce some of these things. Many of our people want to send our children particularly to schools that can provide better quality of education, sporting facilities and things. But even that uh, comes at a price because many of those schools, which we normally used to call the Model C schools and things, or they're a little privileged, that's the term I should use, that too can become a problem because then they could push a certain agenda, an agenda which is currently being pushed in our country by the Western Europe in terms of pushing this LGBTIQ community, which is becoming more popular by the day, and we need to guard against this. So there are risks, to be honest with you, both sides, but limiting the powers of communities because then parents could at least decide 
I want to send my child to that particular school, a school that parents are comfortable that the governance in that school will ensure that it protects the rights of our children rather than promoting some of the things which we believe are not in the best interest of society. So that's where we are in terms of this bill. It has some positive sides, like a grade R, which is being made compulsory. However, the department is in no position, I can assure you, to be able to implement this from a financial resource point of view, from the point of view of capacity, uh, 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 space, they're not in a position to be able to. If you look at the quality of education in South Africa, it's extremely poor. And for that reason, you find that learners that go out, 60% of the learners who start school in grade R01 drop out by grade 10. And the rest of them that go to Tivet colleges that did make it to grade 12, 60% of them drop out in the first year. So you need a complete overhaul of the education system uh, in order to be able to uh, you know, ensure that there are uh, people can be absorbed in the labor market or in society generally. Uh, uh, otherwise, you can produce uh, graduates that are not fit for purpose. I mean, we saw the latest stats that came out about the number of learners that can't even read for meaning in grade uh, four and even up to grade eight. So you can see the difficulty we are facing, but they are focusing on issues that, in my view, are irrelevant when there are more important issues to deal with as far as the education system in the country is concerned. Are you there, my brother? Hello? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, uh, I think we just cut off there, but I'm uh, in communication with the, the technician in our studio in Joburg. Okay. Now, something else that is bothering the people is that budget speech that was presented and the amount of money that's going missing. My brother, let me, let, let me say this. First of all, you are correct. It's a matter for very serious concern. And let me tell you why. Over and above every 23 cents that you pay towards interest or debt service cost in this country, where your debt to GDP is actually 77.3%. I'm not sure where the minister came down to 75 from and we came down to 20 cents from. We have now dug into our gold reserves. We had gold reserves of about 500 billion rand. We're now digging into that and taking out another 150 billion. If you look at this con the, the, the state-owned companies in South Africa, all of them are as good as in the intensive care unit. Corruption is rife in South Africa to the extent that you lose an estimated four to five hundred billion rand 
because you don't get value for money. In other words, an item that cost 10 rand, you are paying 100 rand for it, which resulted in which resulted in about 17,500 millionaires and multi-millionaires being created in South Africa, okay? Promoted by the BEE, which they call Black Economic Empowerment. And if you saw in the State of the Nation address, the minister is emphasizing more than ever on black, black, black. That's what he's doing. But let me say this, that this is not black economic empowerment. It's black economic empowerment for the elite. It's not benefiting the poorest of the poor, which is who that should be doing. It's benefiting a, a group of middle-class people in South Africa. So the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. That is the crux of the problem in the country. There is no intention whatsoever to address it, even though we know where the weaknesses are. And the question is why? Because political parties, all of them that govern, whether you talk about the ANC, whether you talk about the DA, whether you talk about the EFF, the IFP, the NFP, wherever they are governing, even in coalition governments or on their own, corruption is rife, which is the reason how political parties are surviving. It's the reason how political parties are able to carry out this massive campaigns and food parcels and bottles of wine and all these things that they are doing. It's because of the corruption that exists in the country. Now, there is only two solutions to that. One is that no politician or political party should have anything to do with procurement of supply chain in the country. And secondly, no politician or political party should have anything to do with deciding who should be employed or appointed or not. That should be left to an independent body of experts that must decide who to employ and who not to appoint based on their ability, capacity, and integrity to do the job. Our job as politicians is actually to conduct oversight, not to get involved in who should get the tenders and who should not get the tenders and how much we must issue it for or not. The system is the problem. The system allows it. It's something that I have raised with the minister. And I even went on to say, can we not have a more transparent and credible process so it's advertised at local level, whatever tenders were issued and things. And he said, it's a requirement. I said, but why are they then complying? He says, no. I said, then what are you doing about it? Nothing. Why would you do nothing about it? The minister is appointed by the party, the ruling party, the government. And so he'll toe the line with them. If you close the doors, there'll be no corruption. So I can tell you South Africa is in for a long haul. Life for the poorest of the poor is not going to get better. You need to look, you need electoral reforms in the country to change the electoral system. You need to do away with this party politics. It's not going to work. Let people elect their leaders themselves to govern the country. Otherwise, it's going to get progressively worse over a period of time. South Africa can reach a fiscal plus soon, which means they will be in serious trouble. They won't even be able to meet their debt uh, uh, repayment obligations because of the high levels of corruption. And 
I give you a good example. One billion rand and more has been spent on the Zondo Commission. How many of them have now faced the full might of the law or in prison? Nobody. So how would they do it? Let's ask ourselves, it's election time. Where are the political parties getting all this money from campaigning? If you look at Moses Mabira Stadium, packed to capacity yesterday with 1,000 buses alone, where is all this money coming from? It's coming from the taxpayers. It's coming from the private sector that are giving these monies based on what they're getting back. Who's going to go and give you millions of rent, 10 million, hundreds of millions? Who is going to give it to you without expecting anything in return? That's the crux of the problem. So even that political party funding act that we introduced an amendment is not going to solve the problem. Corruption is a serious problem. Not that it doesn't exist all over the world. It does. Africa, I can tell you, is beset with corruption. South Africa is no different. And we're heading in the line in the direction of every other African country. And we are going to be in very serious trouble unless we identify the right kind of leaders in our community, bring them out of this nest that they are in, and let them be part and parcel of the politics of this country, those with ethics, morals, values, who are passionate about bringing about the difference. You cannot, you cannot separate uh, politics from, from religion, from, from our deen. We need to get the right kind of people to come out there and take this country in a new direction. Now, some have been arguing that we are a minority and we cannot make an impact. I don't agree with them. If you look at the 2 million Muslims that we've got in this country, that is equivalent to 40 to 50 seats. What stops us going now? 50 to 40 seats. You can become a kingmaker and be part of the government to two seats or five seats or 10 seats. Why can we not come out in those numbers, work together and give this country direction? We have the way of life that we can direct them to. That's what we need to do. Now, uh, another dilemma that the Muslims have is that, as we know, that you know our voting is going to be linked with who supports the cause of Palestine and who supports the genocide. Now, what the dilemma is that the corruption among those who support the cause of Palestine. And of course, Muslims uh, wouldn't want to support anybody that supports genocide. Can you give some advice on this? I think you touched on a very important point, my brother. And the problem is bigger than we think it is. We don't have, we've got, first of all, there's a two, two options, but I need to break that even further. The two options that we're sitting with currently is, do we support some oppress our people in Palestine? No, we can't. We cannot, we should not, we must not. That is not even negotiable or open for discussion. So what do we do is this. We have to go with those that will uphold and respect human rights. Remember, the world has been captured by a handful of people. The fact of the matter is whether we like it or not. Africa cannot thrive. If Africa thrives and becomes a success, my brother, then Europe is going to get poor and suffer, and the U.S., and they can't afford that. For them to survive and for them to be in control, 
It means there has to be poverty in Africa. There has to be division. There has to be mayhem. There has to be chaos. There has to be disease. These are created by these people so that they can keep us vulnerable and keep us where we are. They have admitted this on their own in any event. Now, our people tend to fall into that trap, unfortunately. But now let's look at the issue of Palestine. There are opportunists also, as far as Palestine is concerned, who purport to suddenly claim to love our Palestinian people and the Palestinian cause, because for the first time, our political parties and many other countries have realized how significant the Muslim vote is. That I now see some are like going door to door to the Muslim community, something that never happened in 30 years. But then let's ask ourselves the question. Have we done enough? Is there anything more we can do? Well, let me give you a good example. It took me about three and a half to four years after the 2017 ANC conference repeatedly to reintroduce the motion to downgrade the South African embassy to a liaison office. Why was that not done? Why did we have to wait for me to renew it every three months for so many years? Okay, alhamdulillah, we had it passed and we've implemented it. Palestinians could not come to this country. They've been going through very difficult times. While the Israeli counterparts can come and go freely with no requirements whatsoever. Only after the amount of pressure that was put on all the different ministers by myself, Alhamdulillah, today we can say we have our Palestinian brothers and sisters that can frequent South Africa visa-free, Alhamdulillah. Now, we then went now and passed a motion to shut down the Israeli embassy in South Africa. My question is, what is the purpose of amending a motion and going to parliament and passing it and the atrocities in Palestine are continuing as we speak right now, okay? And nothing is being done about it. So were we really sincere about passing this motion? Or was this about scoring points at the expense of our brothers and sisters in Palestine who continue to suffer? We always knew, my brother, that no matter what you do, by virtue of the fact that international institutions like the ICC, the ICJ, the United Nations, NATO, these are all toothless bodies that are protected and manipulated and captured by the Western Europe. We knew that. We always knew, and if we didn't, then we were fooling ourselves, that we were expecting much. And as we saw, our legal team, alhamdulillah, did a fantastic piece of work, and all credit must go to them. However, a decision would have already been made before you even went there as to what it is. So they gave a very soft judgment. Can you imagine 30,000 Palestinians dead and you're getting a soft judgment? Okay? Not going enough to condemn, criticize, and stop and bring a ceasefire immediately. Be that as it may. What has happened is this. nothing. The atrocities and the human rights violation continues. Then what happens? We decide to take further action. Goes to United Nations, thrown out. Did you know that or not? Of course we knew that. That the veto powers that all these countries enjoy, the U.S. and others, that is exactly what they're going to do. 
So the question is, are we doing this because we love our Palestinian brothers and sisters? We want to uphold the human rights of these people. We want to ensure that the Zionist state of Israel pays the ultimate price for what they are doing. What you have there is without doubt ethnic cleansing, wanting to clear out Palestine from the map once and for all. That's what it is about and nothing less. Gaza is such a strategic position into the Mediterranean, Mediterranean, including the gas fines, the oil and things. It is such a strategic position area that they want to eliminate them. Can we not see that? We can loud and clear. Are we doing enough about it? No. So the question is, are many people using and political parties using the cause of Palestine? Is that what they are doing for their own benefits, for their political agenda? That is what I believe is the case. So we need to be very, very careful. And then we've got a bigger problem. The Zionists are pumping in a lot of money because they want a regime change in South Africa. And that's the biggest problem we're facing today. And they are doing a very good job at it. While those that align to us are fighting among themselves, destroying themselves before they destroy the entire country. And then we have our people that are supporting these people, funding these people, because they want something in return too. So a lot of people are using Palestine, unfortunately, they don't understand the pain and the suffering of our Palestinian brothers and sisters and our children there. They use this as an opportune moment to garner support because there's an election coming. And if and I and ideally, like I said to you before, I say it again, there is a motion that we've passed. So why haven't we done anything about it? The fact of the matter is just we can't do anything about it. Because designers have infiltrated our beautiful country to such an extent from the days of apartheid that the current government were too busy enriching themselves and forgot and failed to anything to claim back our country to such an extent that designers control our country in every sector. And if you have to shut down the embassy, you might just you might bring the country down. And if that's the reality, what was the purpose of these motions that we were not able to achieve? Is it Ghana support? Is it for popularity? Or what is it for? Our people continue to die mercilessly in the hands of the Zionists in Palestine. I can say to you, my brother, that after some of my presentations in Parliament, I am getting threatening messages on my emails every single day of my life from Zionists. Every single day there's a few messages of threats and insults and abuse. But is that going to deter me? No. I have a responsibility, and we must not forget that until Palestine is free, none of us can claim any freedom anywhere in the world. Jazakumullah for your valuable time on uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, Insha'Allah, we will talk again next week, Sunday morning. Once again, Jazakumullah, Khair al-Jazah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That was our...
brother Manzur Ahmad, uh, Ahmad Manzur Imam, who is also a parliamentarian. Inshallah, we will have him again next week. Marcus Sahaba, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jamaah.